This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon, I'm Ali Johan and this is a Sunday Kind of Love. We're bringing you some post-Halloween spook this week with a story from the book 13 Moons, an anthology of horror and thriller short stories written by Elin Lee. For today, we've picked a dark comedy about a boy turned zombie called Brian, who understandably isn't the favourite kid in the block among his neighbours and I think it's, it even sounds like a parent's worst nightmare to have a kid who's a zombie, right? And the story is a bit on the grim side, but I can assure you it won't be too scary to handle on a Sunday afternoon. Hope you'll enjoy it. Here's Chako Vadaketh bringing us the story, Brains for Brian. Since my son Brian became a zombie, It's been difficult to remain on good terms with our neighbours in the apartment complex. The problem is not that they knew about Brian's recent transformation. It's the way they made it clear to Jackie and I that our son was our responsibility, our problem. They did not object to us living in the complex as long as we kept Brian out of sight and away from the rest of the residents. I understand how you feel said the apartment council chairman one evening when he called around our apartment with his wife. He unhelpfully added, I have a teenage son too. But a shudder meant, I'm so glad my child did not turn out to be a rotting, reanimated corpse. Think of the other families with kids, added his wife, although she turned pale when she heard Brian thumping on his locked bedroom door. Is your son... Uh... The chairman paused. Presumably he couldn't find a better word. All right? I was used to this response from my in-laws, so I just nodded. However, Jackie shot back. Brian's a zombie! What do you think? In the beginning, acceptance was tough. Jackie took it as well as could be expected. My relatives had been avoiding me since the funeral. But is it really a funeral when the embalmed corpse climbs out of the coffin and tries to bite off the pallbearer's ears? Maybe I should not have started seeing Dr. Selvaraj without telling Jackie, but she retreated into an armoured shell of grim acceptance after Brian's funeral. From now on, we are doing things in this house my way, she declared as we drove home with Brian in the back seat and trying to smash the car windows. Jackie's attitude was basically us versus them, with them being those who wanted Brian shot in the head. She did not want the pity or charity of our friends and relatives. She just wanted them to leave us alone. This also meant I was not allowed to talk about Brian with other people. But I took a chance with Dr. Selvaraj, since he was recommended to me by the Malaysian members of the Facebook group I had secretly joined, called Parents Against ZD. According to the toxicology and autopsy reports, Brian had been taking ZD, or zombie dust, for several weeks. My own research turned up various facts and figures about my son's drug of choice, but Dr. Selvaraj explained it to me when I first met him. The drug went by colourful yet obvious street varieties such as zombie dust, zombie or corpse powder, 
but parents were warned to watch out for ZD. It was a drug synthesized from tetrodotoxin, or TTX, a neurotoxin employed as venom by various animals such as pufferfish and blue-ringed octopuses. TTX was also made notorious by Fugo Sashimi Gourmets and the original zombie creators, the voodoo practitioners of Haiti. I had read most of the pamphlets and online discussion forums and used to be able to explain it all to Jackie before she stopped listening to me. Jackie deemed it information which had come too late. ZT overdose symptoms began within an hour of ingestion. It starts with tingling or numbness of the lips and tongue before spreading to other parts of the face. When more nerves and muscles are affected, the victim, who may remain fully conscious, is often unable to breathe because the diaphragm and intercostal muscles have become paralyzed. But ZD is not regular TTX, which paralyzes within minutes. It acts like a posse of overprotective parents. Dr. Selvaraj noticed his faux pas and added, Sorry, no offense. None taken, I assured him, freezing under the air conditioner as I sat in his office. I mean, uh, overzealous bouncers. Dr. Selvaraj changed his analogy. They restrict access so the party does not get started. Well, not so soon. Then, as time goes on, the modified TTX and ZD admits the sodium ion slowly, like one guest at a time, into the party. This gradually destroys the signal relay between brain and body. A quick death seems like relief when compared to the other symptoms. But the dangerous lure of ZD was that it did not turn you into a walking corpse straight away. It still made you numb after experiencing a borderline pins and needles sensation from physical and mental pain. You felt nothing. No fear, pain, sadness, anger or joy. Not even Dutch courage. No stimulus, no response. According to a police friend of mine, ZD had been proliferating in nightclubs for a few years. Popular for its versatility, most users took a tab or two to dull the edge of crystal meth, and ZD used in large doses was a common date rape drug. Regular users were addicted to the numbness, mistaking it for a suit of armor against the unpleasant shocks of life. As well as asphyxiation, they also succumbed to infections or toxic shock. You must respect pain, my father, a physical education teacher, used to tell me. It is your friend. It protects and warns you. Although he never mentioned how to handle emotional pain. I still didn't know why Brian started using ZD. He never even smoked or drank coffee. He had lost two close friends to ZD addiction, but they had remained dead and did not become zombies. Brian never talked to us about it. Maybe he thought Jackie and I would be too judgmental. So, in his own misguided way in dealing with his grief, Brian figured he would try to walk in his dead friend's shoes. How long does Brian have before he fully decomposes? I asked Dr. Selvaraj. It depends. Decomposition begins right after death. Cell death sets in almost straight away. But Brian was embalmed before his so-called funeral. 
embalming slows down decomposition but does not stop it. Dr. Selvaraj sipped his tea. It is hard to say. Could be weeks. I have to know. I got up and walked around the spacious office. I just don't want Jackie to watch our son die again. This time I can prepare for it. I know some very good counsellors who work with bereaved parents. Dr. Selvaraj thumbed through a business card folder on his desk. I have to get her permission. Yes, well, let's focus on you for now. Smiled Dr. Selvaraj and pointed to an empty chair next to his desk. In the beginning, I discovered Jackie, Brian and I were not the only family living with their zombie children. Via Reddit, I contacted three other couples in Kuala Lumpur who had sons and daughters affected by ZD. All had replied to my email but refused my request to meet up. I called up Dr. Selvaraj who advised me against it. Shared suffering is no guarantee of a bond or connection. The death of a child can tear a marriage and a family apart. It would be no different if the child has become a zombie. Of course he was right. But I just wanted to know about the day-to-day -day details such as, did these parents feed their children offal? How do you put up with the smell? How often do you change their clothes? After a long discussion over dinner with Jackie about wanting to meet other parents, she said, You just want to compare notes. How can we know for sure if we're doing it right? There's no instruction manual for our situation with Brian. If all of us can make it to the end of each day, I am more than grateful. Jackie snapped at me and went to check on our son. Coming up, Brian gets into trouble when a neighbour's cat goes missing. Stay tuned, this is A Sunday Kind of Love on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, this is Ali Johan and you're tuning into A Sunday Kind of Love. If you just joined us, our protagonist today is a zombie boy called Brian, who has an appetite for brains. Shako Badakes continues his story. I thrust the plastic bucket under Brian's chin and commanded him to spit out the cat's brain. As usual, Brian did not obey. And I ended up wrapping him on the back of his head to make him open his mouth. Stop that! yelled Jackie. She never liked it when I did that. You'll dislocate his jaw again! She was in the narrow hallway of our apartment, mopping up the mess Brian had just made. Brian gagged and drooled before he swallowed the cat's brain, like the red bean paste buns he used to love when he was alive. He lurched over to the sofa, flopped face down on the shrink-wrapped cushions. Boy, don't sleep like that. Your mother's fed up of wiping down the place whenever you drool. Okay, Dad, just for a while. Talking to him felt like a self-conscious form of ventriloquism. Yet, I had to answer as him, because his grunts indicated Brian's physical presence, but not his presence of mind. Mrs. Louis' Persian cat is missing, I informed Jackie, pointing at the shared party wall in our living room. On the other side, Mrs. Louis resided in single-bedroom splendor. 
That woman always jumps to conclusions. Only because this time her cat jumped onto our balcony. I held up a diamante-studded cat's collar encrusted with dried blood and tufts of grey fur. I had to prise it out of Brian's stiff fingers. Jackie grabbed the collar and shoved it under the sofa where Brian was lying down. He grunted as another tooth fell out of his mouth. If you see Mrs. Louis, say nothing. Pretend you haven't seen her cat, Jackie told me. I sighed and checked my watch. It's almost sunset. Time to chain Brian up in his room. Time for bed, boy. Oh, Dad, let me stay up. Brian did not need to sleep, ever, since he climbed out of the open casket during his funeral. But for Jackie's sake, we kept to our old routine. I led Brian to his bedroom, ostensibly to tuck him in for the night, but he wouldn't sleep at all. I never let Jackie see the handcuffs. It would have just upset her. The handcuffs also came courtesy of the same friend in the police force. The doorbell rang as I steered Brian towards his room. If I did not handcuff him to his bed by nightfall, he might break down the front door and go on another rampage around the swimming pool. Jackie answered the door and recoiled as a saturated cloud of perfume overwhelmed her. The corridor lights glinted of loops of gold necklaces and jade bangles. Have you seen my diva? Mrs. Louis got to the point. <clears throat> no, Jackie coughed. But we'll let you know if we ever spot your cat. What's that awful smell? Mrs. Louis inhaled, and then she gasped. Why are your hands covered in blood? Uh, I'm cutting beef for dinner. Uh, we like our state extra rare. Jackie tried to quickly close the door on Mrs. Louis, but it was too late. Following her nose and her suspicions, Mrs. Louis dropped the neighborly niceties and barged into our home. Jackie caught hold of one of the sleeves of Mrs. Louis's satin blouse and succeeded in detaining her in the hallway. But when Mrs. Louis saw the blood and white cat fur stuck on Brian's tattered t-shirt, she screamed at him, I'll kill you! My husband and I can explain everything. Jackie let go of the door before it slammed shut. Again, she tugged on the blouse sleeve, but ripped it away at the seams. Jackie's raised voice and the sound of fabric tearing caught Brian's attention. He stopped and looked back in the direction of the commotion. For my precious diva! Screeched Mrs. Louis as she ran towards him and flamed at his head with her pudgy arms. Brian caught one of the fleshy arms and started gnawing into it as though it were an oversized chicken drumstick. As Mrs. Louis tried to pull away, Jackie rushed over to separate them like a referee during a wrestling match. Mrs. Louis's gold necklaces and earrings fell to the floor during the kerfuffle. Let go of Mrs. Louis now, commanded Jackie, or no cow's eyeballs for dessert. Stop biting her. Mrs. Louis did not stop screaming, so I picked up a hardcover medical dictionary on the coffee table and hit her on the head with a large toe until she was quiet. My arm ached, and the book's spine was now broken. 
This is all your fault, I said to Brian when I finally caught my breath. Dad, she attacked me first. Blaming him is not constructive, Jackie admonished me. She was right, but it was all I could do as she and I looked at Mrs. Louis's body sprawled on the floor. Is it always going to be like this until he finally decomposes? I leaned against the blood-spattered wall. One mess after another. I should have put a crowbar in his skull after he climbed out of the casket. My vision blurred, and before I knew it, I was crying. My legs buckled, and I was sliding down the wall and onto the floor. Jackie came over and knelt beside me. Brian spat out a jade bangle, and it clattered onto the floor. He looked towards Jackie and I, holding each other, stumbled towards us, and sat down next to Jackie. I don't know for how long the three of us stayed in that family hug. If anyone asks, just say we haven't seen Mrs. Louis. Anything can happen to an old rich widow who went out alone looking for her cat, Jackie advised me. So we can get through today. I nodded and got up from the floor to fetch an apron, a cleaver, and a roll of trash can liners from the kitchen. Brian burped, and one of his teeth fell out of his mouth. Or maybe it was a fingernail. That was Chaco Vadaketh bringing us Brains for Brian, a short story from the anthology 13 Moons, written by local favourite E. Lin Lee. This has been Ali Johan on A Sunday Kind of Love. Thanks for tuning in with us on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.